I hit record. It is recording now. Okay, Matthew, tell me how good-looking you are in about 10 seconds. Okay, I don't need to talk about how good-looking I am, but uh, Fed and Nadal are both looking pretty good <laughs> on the tennis court. So, yeah, just because uh, that joke was so well executed, we may have to leave this part in. Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. Joining me on today's podcast, as always, for this wonderful Wimbledon event. You like that alliteration? It is my podcast co-host, Cracked Rackets writer, and tennis extraordinaire, Matt Stokowiak. Matt, hey, Great Shot. What's going on, Alex? Oh, not too much. Days. Yeah, I was going to say, a couple days. just relaxing yeah. on this middle Sunday, enjoying a little break from the action. That's right, man. Same same here. Just uh, finally getting a break. So. Exactly. It's um, not that I dislike the tennis, or that there's this much tennis, because how could anyone? The matches have been extraordinary. It's that with this break, I finally got a chance to go back, watch some replays of matches I may have missed in the earlier rounds, watch in depth, you know, I watched... Uh, McDonald, Tiafo, Donaldson, Tsitsipas. Just rewatch all those young guys, get my takes on them as prospects. So it was nice to have an opportunity to do that. I also got a win in my rec softball league this morning, a little fun fact. So I'm in a good mood for today's podcast, which I think is a bonus, right? Absolutely, man. Hey, congrats on the win. I'm, I'm surprised. Anytime you win at anything, I mean, that's Surprised? Oh, man. my God. So, you think because you had four stars on tennis recruiting, you're somehow better than me. You're sadly mistaken. <laughs> hey, I never said that. Never <laughs> said that, man. No, it's all, it's all good. Uh, we got a lot to get into here. Oh, no, certainly. There were so many good matches in the third round, and that's the round we'll be breaking down on today's podcast. Obviously, the fourth round action will begin on Monday, and we'll hope to have this podcast out to you as soon as then. In case you missed any of the first week's action, go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. You can find our podcast. We've reviewed the first two days of action of round one. We have a round two recap as well that's in the queue, should be released by the time this podcast is released. So, you know, any of the Wimbledon action you need to catch up on, go check out those podcasts. You'll also hear some terrible predictions of mine from throughout the week, uh, particularly in our Wimbledon preview. So maybe don't go that far back, but definitely check out the uh, round one and round two recaps because Matt and I have had a lot of fun doing these. But okay, with that, Matt, are you ready to start talking about round three? Yeah, you know it, man. Let's get into it. All right, let's rock and roll. Well, the first thing I want to do before we start talking about individual matches is kind of set the scene because obviously one week of play is in the books, and yes, to be the the winner, we'll have to win four more times to win this tournament, but you know, we've really narrowed down the field now. We've got our last 16 men in the draw, and so we've really started to see who the, you know, which top contenders are playing the best, who are the surprise breakthrough people of round one, uh, who are the young performers who took a jump in this event. All of these things are started to be, are, you know, the picture is a little bit clearer than it was at the beginning of this week. And one of the things, you know, the, the biggest notable result to me, and this is the match we'll start our breakdown with, the guy we have to talk about, is the young American, former UCLA tennis player and NCAA singles champion, Mackenzie McDonald. Uh, 
You know, Mackenzie's a guy who was kind enough to come on the Cracked Interviews podcast. So if you want to learn more about him and you know his journey through tennis, go check that out. But he's a guy who was hovering right around the top 100 before this event began. And with this win, he makes his first major fourth round appearance. You know, in this match, I should say, before I even talk about the win, because I, yeah, in case you didn't get to see it, he takes out Guido Pea. That's the guy who beat Marin Cilic in the second round. Mackenzie wins 6-4, 6-4, 7-6. Again, this is his first appearance in a fourth round of a major. I believe he's the first guy to make his uh, first fourth round since Dennis Kudla back, uh, I think it was at Wimbledon, 2011 or 12. So a great result for him. Um, you know, now he'll be ranked inside the top 100 after this event is over. He has a wonderful opportunity in his fourth round match against Kevin Anderson, another former, oh, sorry, not Kevin Anderson, against Milos Raonic, a big server, to make the quarterfinals, maybe do a little bit better than he did at the Australian Open against Dimitrov. But I mean, an incredible result for Mackey. And Matt, I guess my first question to you is, you know, despite all the praise I just get on him, what allows him on the court to be as successful as he has been this week? Oh, yeah, there's a couple things that, you know, really stand out to me. Um, number one is just his mental mindset. Every time he steps on the court, I mean, the guy, you know, he's just stone cold. He's kind of like better in that way where you can't really tell, you know, what the score is based on his demeanor, very stoic demeanor. Uh, and he just goes about his business. And, you know, in this match, it's two guys that are playing in their first uh, Grand Slam third round with the opportunity to get to – uh, the second week and the fourth round. And for me, it really looked when I was watching this like Mackie had a lot less nerves going in. And I didn't really expect that. You know, he's a lot younger. Pella's a little bit older. He's been around a little bit longer. And, you know, the nerves didn't really seem to be an issue for Mackie at all. And uh, his game on grass is just really, really good. The way that he's able to change direction, move around the court, and just hit that big flat ball. Grass really suits him well, so it's great to see. Uh, one other thing that, that I do need to mention about this and what allowed him to be successful was just his serve. I mean, he goes through this entire match, 6-4, 6-4, 7-6, does not drop serve one time. So he holds every service game. He gets two breaks against Pella, one each in the first and second sets. And, you know, if you're serving like that on grass, I mean, Mackie's, what, 5'10"? tops probably so if he's able to hold serve like that you know with the rest of his game from the ground he's, he's going to be tough to beat and obviously that's why he's in the fourth round right here so um unbelievable result i'm really happy for him and hopefully you know he can keep it rolling it's going to be tough he plays milos Reinic next you know a huge server but uh you know this result you know maggie now i think he's going to be top 80 in the world so he's playing great tennis and it's awesome I completely agree with you. Mackie had so much success in this match, taking balls early. Despite Paya being a lefty, Mackie did not struggle on his return, was able to step up, get the two breaks he needed in the first two sets, and then in the tiebreaker when the time came, I, I believe the, the way he got his mini break was by stepping up, taking a return early, blasting it at the feet of Paya. And it's interesting, like you mentioned, McDonald 5'10", a guy who's also had success on grass, who he reminds me of, and you know, this might date me because this wasn't that long ago. But Dennis Kudla, it's the same way both guys, you know, despite not being the tall players, the traditional grass, big servers who move forward a ton with like serving and volleying type of play and returning and volleying. Uh, both guys, you know, more compact in stature, but who take balls early, who move really well on the baseline, you know, don't allow 
uh, their opponents to penetrate their side of the court. They're really good at maintaining an aggressive stance, aggressive positioning. And yes, that's what Mackey did so well in this match, whether it's taking backhands on the rise cross-court or just unloading some of his forehands return cross-court. He did an excellent job in this match of staying aggressive. As you mentioned, served really well, makes 71% of his first serves in this match, wins 81% of those points, wins 53% of his second serve points. And, you know, in a three-set match, he goes 12 of 20 at the net, you know, 60%. You'd like to see maybe a little bit more at the net, but Pay is a guy who loves to stand that baseline. And you look at him, he only goes to the net nine times in this match. Does a really good job of protecting his own first serve. And I will say, McDonald's stature is a little bit exposed because he can get stretched on the return when he's not able to cut them off early. And then, you know, that one-two combo is a little bit easier on him to execute, at least on grass. But still, as you mentioned, Mackey's, you know, his movement, just incredible. I've never seen someone who, who could not have played much grass tennis in his life move Move with such ease on the court. Dare I say it's Federer-esque? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, he's worked his way now up. I, I think he's top 80 now after this result. And, you know, he, he's going to have to use that movement. That's how he's gotten to where he is. You know, NCAA champion, you know, it doesn't happen just by chance. He moves outstanding. Uh, but really for me, you know, just kind of a final thought on this match. It Really, it came down to... These matches always come down to just a couple of points. You know, each set, there's a few big points that whichever player capitalizes on is going to end up winning. And that's what Mackie did in this one. You know, the stats are very close. I mean, Pella did not play a, a terrible match by any means or anything like that. But when it, you know, came time for those clutch points, and I've used this term, you know, with Mackie earlier this week in this event, he's just been the more clutch player. And he was one more time again. Uh, and, you know, now he's you know, staring at the fourth round. So uh, just just a great result. Yeah, I, I'm going to end with two stats as well, just because, and I want to give credit to the Wimbledon website. They've done such a good job of providing stats for people like us who like to go back, break down the match, see if the analytics match up with what we saw. And you look at the unforced air count, it's interesting because Pea, only 17 unforced airs, as we've mentioned, was a very, very solid match from him. Just did not make many unforced airs. You know, tried to stay aggressive on his first serve. But you look at Mackey, he ends up with the higher unforced air count. He has 27. I think that's a testament to him maintaining his aggressive play, not being afraid to go after Pea because he knows, you know, yes, Pea will stick around, but he will not, you know, do any damage to McKenzie. So it's really on him to wait for the right ball. And yeah, Mackey did a great job in this match of dictating. Distance covered. Mackey averages 37.1 feet per point. Pea 38.5 feet. Obviously, that shows Mackey being the aggressor. And yeah, I agree with you. It's tremendous to see. I guess going back to the big picture theme, though, Matt, and this is will be my last question relating to McKenzie. Uh, I don't know why I'm calling him McKenzie. Related to Mackie, I don't know what's wrong with me. It was, it's been a long day. Again, the softball, <laughs> hey, I'm rattled. I'm, yeah, like you said, I haven't done much winning lately, so it, it was a boost, and I just haven't recovered <laughs> since. Uh, but you, you look at the breakthrough stars of this event, and the two names that come to mind, for me at least immediately, are Mackenzie McDonald and Stefano Tsitsipas. And so we're not going to break down the Tsitsipas match in depth, but that's a match he beat Fabiano of Italy, the guy who knocked out Wawrinka in the second round. 6-2-6-1-6-4, so very easy in straight sets. And, you know, we've seen Tsitsipas beat Donaldson in five. You know, he is seated at this event, which at his age, I believe he's 20, so impressive. Uh, which performance 
has been more impressive to you? And then as a second part of that question, who do you think is more likely to advance? Tsitsipas against Isner or McDonald against Rayonich? Oh, good question. Good question. Um, a little change-up. I'm back in the prediction game. I like it, man. I like it a lot. So the the answer to your first question would be the McDonald performance. Interesting. Uh, gonna be, that's going to be the more impressive performance for me because Tsitsipas is already ranked like 35 in the world, I believe he is, you know, coming into Wim- uh, Wimbledon. So, uh, you know, we've seen him have some pretty good results this entire year. Matthew, you know, just broke into the top 100 for the first time. So for him to reach the fourth round, you know, before the tournament started, I would have said, if you would have asked me this question, you know, who, who has the better shot to get to the fourth round, Tsitsipas or McDonald, I would have gone with Tsitsipas. So the more impressive result has to be Mackey's for me. And then the answer to your second question, um, which was, I'm forgetting it now, what was your second question? My, my second question is who is more likely, and look, I ask long questions, so I don't blame you, but more likely to make the four, or the quarterfinals, R- McDonald versus Rayonich or Tsitsipas versus Isner? Right, right. So this one, I, I hate to say it. I really do, but it's just it's how I feel. I, I'm going to have to say Tsitsipas uh, has a better chance to advance to the quarters than Mackie does, I think. And I, I guess I could be completely wrong about that. <laughs> but it's just, I'm just feeling like, you know, I've seen Milos bomb some serve. I mean, he's been serving great, and so is John Isner. So I, I don't know, man. I, if I had to pick... I think Tsitsipas over Isner would be less of a shocker to me. I can actually kind of see that happening in a way. Oh, man. If if Mackie takes out Milos, I mean, it'd be awesome. I just, I don't know. That's a tough question, but I'm going to have to go with Tsitsipas. So I completely agree with you in your answer to the first question. McDonald being outside the top 100, a guy who, again, though he won his first round match at the Australian Open, he's not a top 50 player like Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas has made a couple ATP quarterfinals this year already. You know, we haven't seen McDonald been that consistent throughout the 2018 season. But for part two of your question, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to say McDonald has the better chance, and the reason I'm going to go with that. You know I'm biased against one-handed backhands. I think the Isner serve to that Tsitsipas backhand, despite Stefano's, you know, excellent backhand, so able to be defensive and hit passing shots, whether it's the short angle or the down the line, to change directions and baseline points, particularly against Donaldson. He did such a good job when Jared would leave a ball short in the middle, especially short middle on the ad side, using that one-hander to change directions on Jared and take advantage of the point. But just the Isner serve pounding that corner, you know, for three sets or whether it's three out of five, it's just going to be so difficult for Stefanos to play any sort of offense on his return game. So I could see Isner really dominating serve. I love the way Mackey takes returns early, cuts off time for his opponent. And if he is able to get a read on the Rayonich serve, which is no easy task. Obviously, Milos Rayonich is a former Wimbledon finalist. But I think Mackey is more likely to get a read on the Rayonich serve, take some returns early, not allow Milos to dictate with his forehand and to serve and volley with such ease. I think he's capable of doing it. I also think, you know, Isner 
He's never made a fourth round of Wimbledon. He realizes the draws opened up for him. He knows this is his shot. Milos has already been to a final. He's got to be happy just to be making a fourth round again at a Grand Slam to show this level. I'm not saying Raonic is going to come out complacent because obviously that is not the case. I just think Mackey's got a little bit more of the speed, you know, his ability to make magic happen, to hit passing shots on the run. I could see Mackey taking advantage of this. I could also see the moment being way too big for both of these guys and both Raonic and Isner advancing. Yeah, you know, and, and I hope you're right, honestly. Yeah, I just hedged my bet. your predictions I disagree with, but this one, I mean, I, I hope you're right. And I would love to see, you know, obviously Mackie take out Milos, but I, at this point, man, I'm just, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit the other way. And, you know, this one, hopefully tomorrow or whenever we can come back and talk about it, and I can say that you are right, because that means it'll, you know, for Mackie, that'll be awesome. So, um, yeah, I I, I like I like your I like your prediction. Let's just say I, I will be watching both of those matches on if it's the middle Sunday, it can't be the middle Monday. What is it, Manic Monday? Isn't that what they always go with? Because there's so manic many Manic Monday, magic. man. Yeah. Oh, it. oh, it's a classic. Just like the strawberries and cream. It's a Wimbledon tradition. But okay, we've had a lot of fun talking about Mackie and he's deserved, you know, all this attention. But let's talk about our more disappointing performance from an American. No, I'm not talking about Sam Query because his performance against Monfils was disappointing, particularly after Monfils took an injury timeout after Query had already won the first set, but that's just a little dig at Sam that he probably doesn't deserve because he's had so much success over the past year and a half. But, oh, that's a long way of saying... Let's talk about another young American, Francis Tiafo. Goes up two sets to love over a fellow young player and next-gen star, Karen Hachanov of Russia. But Hachanov rallies, comes back, and secures a 4-6, 4-6, 7-6, 6-2, 6-1 victory over Tiafo. Matt, this one was tough. And I'm pretty sure when this match ended and Edmund looked like he was going down and you know, Diminuer had gotten slaughtered by Nadal. I said all hope for the next gen in this tournament is lost. And I guess that's discounting Hachanov, and that's not fair to him. But, you know, are you disappointed that Francis Tiafo wasn't able to... Are you more disappointed that he wasn't able to close out the match? Or are you more impressed and, you know, looking forward to him building off of this success as he moves forward? Man, it, it, for me, it's a little bit of a, it's a combination of both. Uh, you know, I, I like, you know, to make a third round here, I didn't really expect him to even make the third round. So it's a great result. You know, I can't take that away from him. But the way that this match went down, I, I do, I have to be honest. And, and I was, I was pretty sad. I mean, I was disappointed at the way that this whole match went down. And, you know, it really kind of happened in that third set tiebreaker. You know, Francis is up two sets, and he was really looking to close, you know, in straight sets. And he plays a couple of, you know, just terrible points in the beginning of that tiebreaker, and it swung the entire match. I mean, when he lost that third set, I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know if he was gassed or if just mentally, like, all the wind was out of his sails. But, I mean, he went down, and he went down quickly after losing that third set. And, you know, I, I don't know... I don't know, because I've seen Francis, you know, fight a lot. I've watched him a lot this year. He's been on the main tour. I've gotten a chance to watch him play a lot of matches. And I've, been, I've seen him so many times, you know, drop a set and just come back and stay in the match and fight hard and everything. And, and for some reason in this one, it was weird, Gruskin. I don't know. But 
after that third set, it, it was like he knew in his head that he had to win that in three or else he wasn't going to have enough left in the tank to actually go the distance with Hachinov. Well, what have we said a million times about Hachinov? So physically fit, so willing to make a match about the physical stamina of his opponent and you know, Hachanov's taking a bet on himself that he is in better shape than the opponent he's playing. And, you know, 99% of the time, he's right. And, yeah, I agree with you. That's what you we saw in this match from Francis. A stat I want to point out before I let you get back to your take. You look at Francis's first serve percentage throughout the match. First set, 62%. Second set, 69%. And then third set, 49%. Fourth set, 53%. Fifth set, 55%, but on his second serves, he only wins 11% of his second serve points. I mean, I don't know if it was the legs, a little less spring, but yeah, I agree. Francis, just something physically wasn't clicking in those last two sets, and whether it was just him being disappointed that he blew the tiebreaker or something, I don't know, but something broke. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, that's really the only thing that we can say about it. You know, we got to be honest. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but... Man, you know, Hatchinoff, look, we got to give credit where credit's due, right? And Hatchinoff, like you said, is physically fit. I mean, the guy can go the distance. He went the distance with Baghdadis. I believe he went four sets with Ferrer, who's an extremely physical player. So he's been playing tons of tennis, and, and he looks fresh. I mean, he rocks 33 aces in this match. We know he's got a huge serve. He's obviously a player on the rise, and so is Francis. But for me... The way that the match started, it, you know, I just I would have loved to have seen that tennis throughout the entire five sets. And we just, the fourth and fifth, you know, we didn't get any of that tennis. And I guess for Francis now what he knows is he's got to get back and, and you know, get in, get in better shape. I mean, who am I to tell somebody to get in better shape? <laughs> Four-star well, recruit, Matt Stokowiak. Well, exactly, right? Who am I? But I'm just calling it like I see it. And so if he wants to, you know, eventually, and and we know he wants to, you know, make deep runs at slams consistently and be one of the most consistent players on the ATP Tour, he's going to have to work that out. Because in two out of three sets, I mean, I've seen him go the distance all year long, and he hasn't had any issues. So, uh, you know, he hit the wall here, and now he knows that if he makes you know, the second week of a slam, it's going to be a hell of a lot tougher, you know, physically, mentally, everything. So, uh, you know, if he can take some, you know, positives out of the way that he played in the first few rounds, that's great. And, you know, if he can just get back into the gym and, you know, get that cardio up and just, you know, have the stamina and be able to go the distance in five, like catching off, because he can do it. Um, you know, then Francis will be right there because obviously, you know, his tennis over the first three sets, his tennis is there. But man, you know, I, I think it's a combination of, of the physic, you know, the physicality as well as mentally. I do, I sense that he got disappointed the way that he started that third set tiebreaker. And when he dropped that set, I mean, you could just see it was like he knew he had to win it straight. And when he didn't, I think. I think his legs went a little bit, and I think his mind went a little bit as well. And so the combination of those two things against a player like Hatchinoff in your cook, and that's what we saw. I'm going to – well, okay. It's a little bit of a simplification. I'm not trying to be rude to you, Matt, to say that he was cooked because I don't think that's fair. But I I do want to look at tactically what I saw as the difference. And, again, I want to point back to these stats because you look even closer at his win percentage on the first serve – 
First set, 83%. Second set, 88%. Third set, 78%. And then fourth set, 52%. Fifth set, 55%. And the reason I think that happened in those first three sets, what Francis did so well, making his first serve and attacking that second ball, playing serve plus one tennis and moving forward. And you look at his net points, that's the tactics you saw. He goes to the net 55 times, wins 36 of of those points for 65% conversion rate. That is good enough to win you a match. And I think when he was playing serve plus one tennis, when he was making those first serves and getting to be the aggressor, that was when he was beating Hachanov. When he didn't beat Hachanov is when he fell into the trap of you know playing at the baseline, getting physical, doing what Hachanov wanted him to do, which was working side to side and trying to hit miraculous on-the-run cross-court forehand passes, which sometimes, to Tiafo's credit, he really did. He hit one when he broke Tiafo or when he broke Hachanov in the second set. That was just incredible. One of the most impressive, explosive forehands I've ever seen, just as Francis Tiafo is often liable to do. But then again, you know, where I think he gets into trouble, and it's almost Jack Sock-esque, Francis loves slicing and dicing, and he loves having fun on the court, and that's half of the fun of watching him play. So I would never mean to say he needs to cut that out of his game completely, but when you're playing a player as physical as Hachanov, a guy who's going to track down drop shots, whether it's the first set or the fifth set of the match, you don't need to do that. Conserve your energy in smarter ways. Just put the f***ing ball away. I mean, come on. There's, there are times when he lets it bounce at the net instead of taking a volley so he can hit a drop shot and then you know they can have a little dinkum exchange at the net where they see what funky happens. And I think that's the point where Tiafo needlessly expends energy sprinting from net to baseline to come up with a miraculous pass or sprinting to track down another drop shot when he could have put the ball away you know, three points early, or three shots earlier. And so... I think moving forward, that's what it's got to be. It's just slightly better shot selection to utilize the incredible weapons he has at his disposal. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, some of those shots, like you mentioned, are just what I call brain farts. And that comes from, that comes from the mental side of the game. You know, we know he's got all the physical tools, but he needs to, you know, he's got to do that over the course of the entire match. And like you mentioned, I mean, once you get into those cute little games, you know, the drop shots, Know, the miraculous shots. Look, we love to see them, but at the same time, you're also trying to win a tennis at match. At the same time, win the f***ing match. Right, exactly. I mean, there's a time for that. You can mix that in. You know, we see all the guys mix that in, but look, first and foremost, you've got to win, man. You're in the third round trying to get to the second week of a slam. Uh, it, you know, it's it's tough, but I, I don't know. If he learns from it, we'll see what happens. I mean, we've still got some of the year left having a great year his ranking is going to be improved and everything so let's see where he goes from here i overall up until this point in 2018 i have to say i am i am very very happy with where francis tiafo is at overall with his tennis game going into the year i didn't know you know where exactly he would be at this point in the season but you know if you would have told me hey He's going to make the third round of Wimbledon, and you know he's going to be ranked around 50 and all that. You know, it's all good stuff for him. So I think he can keep building on this, and hopefully, you know, he can learn a few things about that, and then you know, add that to the toolbox and, and be better next time. I completely agree with you. And one of the reasons I asked you earlier is, are we more disappointed with Tiafo losing this match or more impressed with him having the season that he's had? Any hot takes about, oh, Tiafo blew this match, it's terrible for his development, 
you know, go throw them in the trash because that's a terrible takeaway from this match. These are the type of moments where you need, you know, this is such a valuable learning experience for Francis. He learns, you know, even though on paper, Hachanov, who we should not take away from from this match because he's coming into this having, you know, beaten, playing two such physical matches, beats Ferrer in a tough four-set match round one, ends up taking out Baghdadis in five in round two, goes five sets again, and is clearly the more physically fit player in sets four and five in the third round here against Tiafo. Uh, he played the better match, and it's a credit to him that he won this, but for Francis... Was it a year or two ago? He lost in five sets at the U.S. Open to John Isner, put up a tremendous fight, and now here he's losing five sets, but it's the third round of Wimbledon. And like you mentioned, he got his first ATP title earlier this year. Just an inc- He's now inside the top 50 for the first time in the live rankings. Just an incredible 2018 so far for Francis Tiafo. And so, and he takes about this, you know, being a bump. It's just a bump in the road, and he'll keep on moving from here because it, a tremendous performance and a great event from him. Yeah, that's right. I mean, everybody that's saying, you know, that's given all those hot takes like that, they're looking at it from a very narrow, narrow-minded perspective. And, you know, you know, we're looking at it from a broader perspective. There's more, you know, there's more tennis than just Wimbledon 2018. We're not you know? trying to be cocky, but we're above the fray. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we can, we can look at it as the bigger picture because, you know, we follow these guys all year long, not just for two weeks. So, you know, I feel like a lot of people are tuning in just to watch Wimbledon and they see that match and then, you know, they point out all the, you know, specifics that they saw in one match. But, hey, I mean, do you know where the guy started 2018 at and where he is now? You know, these people don't know anything about that. So, overall, there's there's more positives that are going on right now for Francis than there are negatives. That's for sure. Absolutely. But let's talk about another guy who has a lot of hot takes surrounding him and the common hot take is that because 21-year-old Alexander Zverev has only made one Grand Slam quarterfinal, that he doesn't have what it takes to someday be number one in the world and be a Grand Slam champion. Obviously, that fuel or that talk had fuel added to its fire in this year's third round as Zverev loses a match to one of my favorite players of all times, but a random guy for many uh, common or for many casual tennis fans, Ernest Goldbis, the Latvian talent, takes out Zverev 7-6-4-6-5-7-6-3-6-0, a goose egg bagel in the fifth set. Um, <laughs> I guess, Matt, with that hot take, the struggles Zverev has had playing three out of five sets in these Grand Slam tournaments, uh, what is it that he keeps, you know, why can't he break through in a match like this against a guy in Goldbis who... At this point of his career, Zverev's got to be beating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint why he can't get over that hump. But, I mean, you know, we go back to Australia earlier this year, and he loses 6-0 in the fifth to Chung. I mean, it, it, I think it might have been in the third round as well. So I, I don't know what it is about Zverev because this guy has all the talent. I mean, he, we see him consistently week in and week out put up good results. He wins tournaments. He's three in the world or, you know, three, four in the world. I mean, I, I don't know if it's mental or I think tactically, I mean, on, on some of these surfaces, he's really got to switch his tactics and get so far from behind the baseline because, again, at Wimbledon, it's not going to work. We praised Matthew McDonald earlier for taking the ball early and playing aggressively. That's what it takes to win on this surface and why a guy like McDonald who wasn't even in the top 100 before this tournament, is now in the fourth round. 
and Alex Barron, who is the number four seed, is bounced in the third round because he's not playing correctly. He's playing clay court tennis on a grass court, and guys are going to take advantage of that. I, I don't know what it is, man. He's stubborn or something because he, he's just not playing the right way. And I think <laughs> mentally, I think at this point it's actually a little bit in his head because he knows that he's played so many slams now where he can't get to the second week. And he's always one of the top seeds. You know, everybody's talking about him. Oh, is this a slam that he could break through at? And it's got to happen eventually, right? I mean, he's so talented. But time and time again, we see this. It seems like every slam, we talk about it. Oh, there goes Varev again. Third round exit. I don't know, man. It's it's disappointing. And, and something's got to change for him. You know, in the majors specifically. Because if we look outside the majors, he's clearly... Clearly one of one of the top five, probably top three or four players in the world. But as soon as we get to the slam, three out of five over the course of two weeks, he, he's consistently not up to par. So I don't know. But I also have to throw out there, how about an Ernest Gulbis sighting, man? I mean, I just look at this guy's name in the draw and I have to laugh. I mean, <laughs> to see him hanging around, you know. The fear hand. Ernest Gulbis. I mean, we haven't seen him, I feel like, in so long. And, oh, here he is, now in the fourth round. It's awesome. I mean, you know, he's a player that you just kind of naturally, uh, you know, like to root for just because of, you know, his flair and the way that he plays and, you know, the way that he looks. He looks like a goofy dude. I don't know. I like him a lot. So to see him make it this far is great. But, you know, like you mentioned before, Zverev, You've got to take this guy out in the third round of Wimbledon. I mean, it's a golden opportunity for you to get to the second week to play a guy like Golbis in the third round. And, and again, you know, 6-0 in the fifth. It, it's disappointing. I don't know. What do you think, Alex? <laughs> well, I appreciate you asking. And all of the Ernest Golbis love, I, I, I promise I'll get to it because the fear hand deserves to be talked about and admired and just his general attitude and presence on the court is what makes tennis, you know, so unintentionally comedic and one of my favorite sports, if not, you know, I'm not afraid to say my favorite sport in the world. Uh, That's right. So, yeah, it, but first I want to talk about Alex Vieira. So, he's 21 years old. No, he's only made one quarterfinal. And yes, he played very, very passive in this match. But I, I, it's too soon to say, oh, when is he going to break through? Give him time. Wait three years. If you think in three years, Fed and Nadal, are, if they're still playing at this level, I, I need to stop watching the game because my mind will be broken at that point. I'll be devastated. I'll be in a corner just asking, when is this going to end? You'll find me under Fliegner's desk, never to be heard from again. Um, so, again, I, I'm going to show patience on the side of Zero, I think. You know, the U.S. Open will be another wonderful opportunity. I think his game is better suited on the hard courts. I think being six six, he'll you know he's it's so much easier for him to move on the concrete than it is for him to move on grass. But you talk about him playing passive. Let's look at the distance covered per point in this match. Golbis averaging thirty six point six feet, a good distance, but Zverev in this match forty point three feet. I mean that the the disparity between the two shows that Golbis was clearly playing the aggressive tennis. And again in this match, Zverev just got comfortable staying behind the baseline, you know, looping balls back, thinking you know I can wait this out because Golbis will do something dumb or give me a short ball to attack, so I just have to keep waiting. And he just plays this passive style of tennis. You know, make 63% of his first serves, which is a good number, and win 73% of those points for the match. But you break it down by set, 
you know, in the third set, he only makes 45% of his first serves. In the fifth set, he makes 63, but only wins 20% of those points. Uh, obviously, he got bageled, so there's not much there to look at. And he just played so passive in this match, even though... Let me go- ask you this, Alex. Why don't you think at this point he would know not to play that passively? At this point, he's played enough slams. Why? Like, I know you said to give him some time, but... He plays well outside well, of the main. Well, I just like, want to... The reason I think in this match he may have been passive, getting to this unforced error count, Golbus in this match, 32 plus 4 is 30, 36 unforced errors versus Zverev's 23. I mean, Golbus is an erratic player. Golbus is going to miss a lot of yeah. balls. He goes after his ground strokes. And he's not afraid to do that. So I can understand why Zverev might have thought playing passive, you know, or not playing passive, but playing conservative defensive tennis might have worked. But at the same time, you look at Zverev's net stats, and yeah, he only goes to the net 32 times in this five-set match, wins 14 of those attempts, 44%. He clearly is not comfortable with his first volley yet, and I think that hesitance, particularly on the grass, is an issue because on grass, if you you know keep being passive at the baseline, you eventually will be put in a defensive position, and it's so hard to play defense on a grass court. So yeah. uh, so I guess to answer your question, I didn't really answer it. I think the passivity was the product of the opponent. I think that was more of a game plan strategy. I just don't think he's comfortable enough, enough yet at the net, and I think that's something you can certainly develop with age, and that's why I'm not worried. Okay, see, I, I don't—I hear you, but I don't know, man. I'm, I'm glad because we've had some production issues, so I'm glad you can still hear me. We— <laughs> <laughs> We've even seen him, though, even on a hard court, like going back to Australia when he played Chung and loses O in the fifth. I mean, he, he will play back behind that baseline, even, even if he's on a hard court. I mean, it doesn't really matter the surface. When he gets under pressure, he reverts to what he's comfortable with, and that is drifting back and playing deep, and he's going to really have to work on Getting out of that habit, it's a bad habit, let's well, just be honest. But, but my counter to that is he hasn't been 6'6 his whole life. This is a new development. You can tell every time you watch him play, he is still growing into his body. I mean, in the Fritz match, that was a match at night, Zverev was so uncomfortable. He just did not look good moving out there on the court because it looked like he thought he was going to slip every time. And so, you know, it's it's it'll be fair in three years to criticize him if he still plays this sort of passive junior you know junior circuit tennis of I'm just never going to miss and I'm going to out hit you especially because at six six when he's trying to out hit people he can eventually just wail forehands that the uh, his opponent can never dream of but at the same time you're right the passivity is an issue but it can be worked on I, it, once he grows into his frame you know gains that extra three to five miles per hour that are clearly available as soon as his shoulder gets a little bit thicker uh, on his serve and can you know move forward just a little bit more often. I think that part of the game comes to him. He certainly looks like he has the touch at the net. It's just a matter of he's not comfortable of knowing when to move in and which volley to hit in which situation. Okay, yeah, I mean, I hear you. But at the same time, I'll also say I I certainly have gotten my Zverev prediction wrong, like you mentioned, in each of the last three tournaments. What, What frustrates me the most about him, though, I guess, and, you know, regardless of how he's playing, if he's playing passively or or not, is just we see him at certain events throughout the year, and he looks unbelievable. Like, 
This guy is future number one in the world type player. He has that ability. He has that talent. And we see it often. But when we get into the slams, it's not there. And, and I want to see it. I, I feel like I know he's young, but he's been around for a, a few years now. And I just, we haven't seen it yet. I, I don't know. I guess I just want it too soon, possibly. But man, I just, and I think that stems from seeing him throughout the year at other events. And I'm like, okay, play like this at Wimbledon or play like this at the U.S. Open and you're going to be in the semis, in the final. That's where he wants to be. But, well, but it doesn't happen. But I mean, another, so, a, another undeniable fact, and this goes back to his body, and it's something our super producer Max Sligner always says to me when we're watching Zverev play, Two out of three sets for him is he's he's in better shape to do that. I don't know if he's ready to go three out of five yet. If he's comfortable yeah. enough in his frame, and I mean a six oh fifth set twice at majors this year certainly you know shows that he does not have the fitness he needs in those fifth sets. And again, fitness is something you can always improve on. That's why I'm not afraid because it's not like he has something wrong with his game. Something like the Tiafo hitch in his forehand that seems to be something that can continuously be overwhelmed with pace throughout his career. You know, the fundamentals for Alex Virov's game are so sound. And it's just a matter of when the fitness catches up to the tennis, look out. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the fitness and then, of course, the tactics. I think he really needs to make an effort to, to play more aggressive, to move his court positioning up on that baseline into the court. I mean, a lot of these matches, man, especially on certain surfaces like grass, it's a battle of court positioning, and he is not winning that clearly. But like you said, I mean, this is one of the most fundamentally sound players on tour, and that's why I watch him. And I'm just like, man, this guy could be so good. He is good. He's already he's 21 years ball. old, and he's the number four f-ing seed at Wimbledon. He is, but why is he losing in the third round then every time we, you know, we get to this point? that That's just what's frustrating. If you're the four seed, at some point you've got, I mean, look, if you play to your seed as the four seed, you're making the sentence, right? Top four. So we have yet to see him do that at a slam. I just, I want to see it. Yeah, I mean, people used to always say, and I'm not this old, but I've seen the documentaries, oh, when is Sampras going to win his first slam? When is Agassi going to win his first slam? When is Murray going to win his first slam? And then they all did. And so I'm just saying, be a little bit patient. For once, I really do think the long view will pay off. You know, If you're buying stock, buy in Zvira for the next five years, and you will not be disappointed. But all right, I, I want to... I oh, sorry, did you have any other points to make on that no, match? No, I, I was just going to finish that off by saying I agree. I mean, look, this is one of my favorite players on tour, and I would buy stock as well. It's, it's going to happen eventually. There's no doubt in my mind that this guy is going to win probably multiple slams. I mean, I really... I, I believe that. It's just a matter of when, but it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come. Yeah, I, I agree. And the last thing I'll say why I'm so in on the Zero bandwagon, a kid who lived with me our senior year and played on our high school tennis team, a guy I consider my brother, Sven Kranz, who played at the University of Chicago. Uh, he beat Alex. He's from Germany, and he beat Zverev in the boys' tens of Germany. And so, you know, I've beaten Sven in a ground stroke game, and I'll take any transitive win <laughs> Alex Zverev gets from that and count it as my own. So, Zverev, we at the Great Shot Podcast are counting on you to give us credibility. And, you know, I, I'm very confident that he will rebound this summer, defend his points in Toronto, and, you know, have a wonderful uh, finish to his 2018 season. But, okay, 
Let's do our last breakdown of this third round. Talk about a match I predicted as an upset and after the first set had incredibly high hopes for. That's Kyle Edmund, the number 21 seed and the young British Hope versus number 12 seed and I think 12-time Grand Slam champion, something crazy, Novak Djokovic. It's a match. Djokovic wins 4-6, 6-3, 6-2, 6-4. Matt... I was wrong to doubt you when you said there's only one upset you're picking. It was Novak Djokovic. It turns out you are probably right, and it looks like we're going to be treated for the millionth f***ing year in a row to some form of Djokovic-Nadal-Fetter in the semifinals and finals. Um, I guess, what did you see? F- if you know, Let me scrap that. If you are a casual tennis fan, should you feel confident that Novak Djokovic is playing well enough to you know, put in a dent to the Nadals and the Federers to regain his spot at the top of the game? Yeah, I would have to say so right now. I mean, from what I've seen of him the last, I'm going to say, three weeks going back to Queens Club, he's been on the upswing, man. I mean, his game is starting to come back a little bit, and he's playing very very well. This was a tricky match against Edmund. You picked up Settler here. I said not so fast. <laughs> I was okay. waiting for you to take one swipe at me. You haven't said anything about Nadal Diminuer yet, which I really appreciate, and I'm sure we'll get there. But um, yeah, that, you're right. I, I did say upset alert, and you did say not so fast. So touche, Matt. You're up like 7-0 or 7-2. Because <laughs> I did have Hachanov making the fourth round, so I'll give myself a little bit of credit there. But yeah, you're right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you picked Hatchinoff. That is totally, I mean, that was your pick, man, not mine. So you get that one for sure. But, <laughs> and it looks like Edmund for a while was actually um, possibly going to pull it off. And, you know, he comes out. So then, hold on, well. can we go back and we say, you know, I was wrong about the prediction, but the upset was alerted. I mean, there was certainly an alert out. Absolutely. I completely agree. There was an <laughs> alert out. And, and Kyle just, he couldn't pull it off, but he was close. In that first set, he served well. And, and really for Kyle, I mean, he had been serving great this entire tournament. That's really what propelled him into that third round. But Novak, what I noticed, after, after dropping that first set, you know, Novak came out and he played, I, I want to say solid. He played okay. But once he lost that first set, he knew that Kyle was playing well, and he had to elevate his game, and that's exactly what Novak did. And that right there is what lets me know that Joker possibly, possibly can can put a dent into Roger or Rafa, possibly because he's finding, you know, he's able to crank his game up when he needs to, which is what he always used to do. When the level got higher, he would just raise his game. He wouldn't miss. He was Novak Djokovic, won uh, whatever it was, six out of eight slams back in 2011-2012. And he's not at that level right now, but he's, he's getting back to that slightly. And, you know, Kyle's tricky. Obviously, he has the home crowd. They're playing on center court. But Novak just ended up being too much for him. I mean, he was more solid. And one stat that I don't know if you know this, Alex, but really, I, I saw this when I was watching it live. Kyle in that first set was hitting his forehand huge. He was ripping forehands off the ground. And throughout the match, as we got into the second, third, and fourth sets, the MPHs on his forehand continued to slowly decline throughout each of those sets. So he went from hitting like an average 80-mile-an-hour forehand in the first set down to like 76 in the second and then 74 in the third and 72 or 70 in the fourth. 
So he was losing some velocity, and Joker was able to move around that court, push him around, and just ended up being too solid for Edmund in the end, which is... So I guess, sorry to cut you off, but I I want to harp on that point because I completely agree with you. You look at the overall stats from this match, distance cover per point, Djokovic averages 40.9 feet while Edmund averages 42. As you mentioned, Edmund, with the power of his serve in his forehand, has to be looking to play more aggressive tennis, and he cannot allow Djokovic to be the one dictating around the court. And so, to me, like you mentioned, it looked like Edmund wore out a little bit as this match went on. Although, to his credit, he played a very good fourth set. Djokovic was just on fire in that fourth set. That was the Djokovic of old, I agree with you. But do you think it was something where Edmund was... Was he too passive? Was it a nerve? You know, a nerve thing. Was it something Djokovic did in particular? Why was Edmund, you know, put on the defensive so often? Just because I think, like I said before, I think Novak stepped his game up, like on the returns of serve. Right, I completely agree with you. It was the return. Yes, and and so that when when Novak can return like that and just put that return back at your feet off of a serve that you think is actually a pretty darn good serve. And Joker just rips that thing back down the middle. I mean, you are put on the defensive, and that is tough. I mean, we've seen Novak win lots of grand slams by doing that. So that's what I think happened. I think in the first set, Kyle was having more success with his serve and his forehand. He was being more aggressive, and Novak quite wasn't up to his peak yet. But then as that match went on, he started to find it, like you mentioned. I mean, towards the end of that match, he was looking like Novak of old. And that's what, you know, I think I have him in the semifinals. I predicted <laughs> that he makes the semis. It was I your upset special, if I remember correctly. Upset special because he was the 12th. Here's, honestly, though, I mean, the, the way he's playing right now, I don't think it's unfair to say that he can, you know, make a run to the semis. You know, playing like that, we've seen him win slams. So. You know, if he continues to play at this level, I like his chances. I don't know if he'd be able to get through Rafa and or Roger. But either way, uh, right now, I'm pleased with where he's at. Because earlier this year, I mean, Novak, was, he was lost. I mean, he would play Indian Wells in Miami. And, you know, he was losing to Benoit Paire and, you know, Taro Daniel and, and guys that, you know, he just never would have lost to. And he, he looked like a shell of himself. I mean, it didn't look to me like Novak Djokovic at all. I was like, who is this guy? But now, when he plays, you know, I'm getting some flashbacks of earlier years, and and I like that. So, I think Novak's on the right track for the rest of this tournament. Well, another stat I want to point out, receiving points won, you know, throughout this match, when you look at the stats, players typically win somewhere between 25 and 30% of their receiving points. In this match, Djokovic wins 41% of his receiving points, and that's in a match where Edmund serves 60% on his first serves, wins 65% of those first serve points, and it just didn't matter. Djokovic is in every serving game. He has 17 break point opportunities in this match, only converts four of them, which, you know, when he's playing the Nadals and the Fetters, it has to be better than that. But you're right, this is vintage Djokovic. He makes 74% of his first serves, wins 82% of those points, wins 56% of his points on the second serve, which, as you remember with Djokovic, used to be a struggle of his, so it's good to see him do that. Goes a tidy 15 of 21 at the net, uh, which, you know, again, he's not the most comfortable natural volleyer, but still pretty good for him. And then in this match, you know, it's listed as him only making 13 unforced errors versus Edmonds 28. I mean, 13 yeah. unforced errors in a, in a four-set match is just, that, that, that's, how, that's how you win. 
Exactly. I mean, that's just too good. I mean, there's, you know, as good as Edmund is, and, you know, Kyle's now in the top 20, he's, he's very, very good. But if Novak's playing at that level, I'm sorry, but, you know, Kyle Edmund, it's just, it's not going to happen for you on that day. It's just not. It's too good. I agree. And so, you know, looking at the draw moving forward, and we'll use this as a way to talk about some other notable matches. Djokovic now matches off with Achanov in his section of the draw. He's also got Nishikori and Golbis. Nishikori, who takes out Kyrgios, 6-1, 7-6, 6-4. Kyrgios was the guy I picked in Turnitopia, so, you know, f*** me. But whatever. (laughs) Kyrgios decided not to bring it on that day. Um, Do you want to break down the Kyrgios match, or do you got to just kind of go over it real quick? Well, either way, whatever you'd like to do, it was, I mean, overall, it was disappointing. So, you know, I don't know if we need to get into it too much. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if it's, okay, a brief synopsis. Kyrgios does not play a good first set at all. I believe he serves, what was it? Oh, of course, a tidy 63% on his first serve, which is not, you know, Kyrgios level if he wants to win. He can't be doing that. Only wins 33% of his second serve points. Goes to the net a whopping twice in the first set. He's never going to win a set when he's doing that. And just, yeah. I mean, Nishikori whooped his ass. And then, yeah, he played a little better in the second. But he just, he never seemed locked in. And that's such a superficial thing to say. And I hate when that's, you know, the opportunity. But the truth is, when people say Kyrgios isn't locked in, it's not that they're saying, you know, he doesn't care about the game or that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, like, put in his full effort every time he's out there. It's that there are just certain days where he does not look... Like he just looks like aimless out there. There's no concrete game plan, and I feel like to, this was another match where that was the case. Absolutely, and and you're completely right that that can't happen. I mean, if you want to be a top ten player, that's why he's never broken into the top ten because he just mentally week in week out, match in match out. It's why guys like Fed and Nadal are still around. I know, I know, you can't believe that they're still around and playing this well, Alex, but they are because. They are locked in always, every single match, every single tournament, every single year. And Nick just doesn't half the time. And okay, maybe not half the time. That's an exaggeration. But it, it's it's a good amount of time where he takes the court and he's not completely into it all a hundred percent. And that's why you know we, his results overall in his career have been underwhelming. Because again, we're talking about a guy who's as talented maybe more talented than anybody on the planet. Anybody on the planet. Physically, what he can do with the racket in his hand, his racket skills, his power, his finesse, literally everything. But his mind just holds him back. And so, of course, this was another classic, classic Nick Kyrgios uh, typical case, you know, that we see every so often. And, yep, again in the slam. So, you know, Nishikori took full advantage. No, it it was really disappointing to see. But you look at that portion of the draw again and going back, um, Kyrgios, Kyrgios was my guy who I predicted, but now it's Nishikori versus Golbis in a match that brings us back to, what, 2011 or something crazy versus Hachanov, Djokovic. Uh, who, you ha- who do you have as the you know person who emerges into the semifinal? Are you still sticking with Djokovic or have you seen something from any of the other three guys that has you, you know, intrigued? Um, I'm gonna, I'm definitely sticking with Djokovic. I think his level right now is is good. I'm pleased, you know, with what I've seen. So I'm I'm confident that I can stick with my pick there. But I mean, the other three guys. Look, I, I've seen good things out of all of them too. You know, Hashinov has been awesome. Uh, that's going to be a great match with Joker, I think. 
Um, of course, Nishikori, to see him back at this position, he's had injury issues. I mean, he dropped down several months ago. He was playing through challengers. So to see him back at this level on tour is great. And, of course, Ernest Gulbis. I mean, anytime you see him in the draw, it's, it just it's, – and I believe in our prediction podcast or preview podcast you said the Zverev quarter was your favorite of the draw right that's right absolutely uh, again you look smarter than I do so I'm gonna uh, do I want to make a prediction I'm not saying Djokovic on principle I'm gonna stick with my position I'm gonna go with Hechanov he's gonna ride this momentum the middle Sunday was all he needed to go train with his fellow Russian athletes and do whatever it is they do to recover so well I say he takes out Djokovic. There's no way Golbus makes a semifinal. I'm going to take a shot. No, I, I mean, know. if he did, if Golbus makes the semis, I, I mean... He'll be I, the I, one I, to I, take I, out Nadal and Fed. If anyone can do it, it's Ernest <laughs> Golbus. That, that's right. Honestly, like, I, I completely agree with you. If he does, wow, I mean, that'll just... We'll have to get into that, you know, as that comes. If that, he does indeed make the semis... Everybody, you're going to want to stay tuned because we'll have lots to Yeah, we'll, we'll twitch the final if that happens, if it's Ernest Goldberg <laughs> and it'll just be me and you. But okay, let's talk about a draw that we did not talk about a single third-round match from. That's the Rafa portion of the draw. You look at the results. Del Potro takes out Benoit Pair in straight sets, 6-4, 7-6, 6-3. Now he faces Jill Simone, who took out Matthew Ebden, 6-1, 6-7, 6-3, 7 Again... This is a match that could have happened six years ago, and instead it's happening again now. Uh, it's not that I'm disappointed. It's just, again, fresh blood would be nice to see. Look at the other side. Ooh, a little fresh blood, and we do see it in Yuri Vesely, who, you know, the young former ITF junior world number one, a lefty from, I believe, the Czech Republic, takes out Fognini, 7-6, 3-6, He now matches up with Rafa Nadal, who took out Alex Dimenuer, the young Australian, 6-1, 6-2, 6-4. Uh, do you want to rip on me about the Nadal result now, or can we just move on? Well, look, I'm not going to do it too bad. I just want to say, I mean, I, look, I said Demonor could actually I win. Said. I thought it was going to go four. I made the prediction that it was going to be in four. So my prediction wasn't completely correct. I mean, I did pick the winner, but look, <laughs> that was just, a, it, it was a disappointing match for me. I mean, I like young Alex a lot, but... He wasn't quite ready for that moment. That's what I tried to tell you. I knew that he wasn't ready to actually win, but I thought he was going to put up a little bit more of a fight, but those first couple sets, he just, he, he wasn't quite ready, and he, you know, he wasn't playing that well. So, you know, it's a wash. It's okay. Look, he made the third round. Again, these young guys, it's a good result for him overall. I mean, to go out to Rafa in the third round, I mean, that's nothing to, to be ashamed of. So, for Alex, I think he's just going to get back to work with Leighton Hewitt. They're going to go back out there, you know, and, and get back to work, and we'll be seeing a lot more of him. I'm a big fan of Alex, so uh, no big deal there. But you, you should have listened to me. I mean, come on, man. I told you Rafa was going to win. <laughs> My prediction but, wasn't completely right, but it was right. And you should have listened to me. You would have won. Oh, shut the <laughs> f*** up. I'm done with it. Look, I completely agree with you. Demonure came out a little bit on the tighter side. It was clear he was overwhelmed by the center court stage playing against Rafa. It took him a second to adjust to Rafa's ball. And he played a much better uh, third set than, you know, throughout the rest of the match. So it was impressive to see out of him. 
but yeah, I, I deserve to eat crow on that one. I should not have doubted Rafa. I mean, he was just all over Dimanur everywhere he's at the net. You know, he come 19 of 22 at the net in that match, uh, 86% conversion rate. Holds Dimanur to 3 of 8 from the net, 38%. Yeah, Rafa dominated this one and you know, again, this uh, it, just like Tiafo, Dimanur has so much so many positives to take away from this event, but yeah, my upset prediction was quite wrong, as you do. But okay, looking at this quarter, again, Delpo, Simone, Vesely, Nadal, who emerges to the semifinals? Yeah, well, again... Well, I, oh, I mean, even to the quarterfinals as well. Uh, oh, quarterfinals, look, I've got, I've got um, Nadal over Vesely. That is not upset alert. So, Alex, I'm telling you now. <laughs> listen, look, listen let me just make... My, I'll make another case. He's a lefty. He's tall. Big server. On grass. F*** it. Come on. He, he is, but look, I like Vesely a lot. He's look for him to be in the fourth round. That's a great result for him. I mean, it's it's crazy. I never would have thought that you know we'd be seeing him in the fourth round. So he's had an excellent tournament so far to take out Fognini, who's always a tough player. I mean, Vesely's playing some good tennis, but look, Rafa's playing it very very well too. So I, I don't see in a three out of five set match, uh, Rafa's not losing. Man, I'm telling you now. So just, we're going to come back to this one. Like, <laughs> we can move on. We can move on. You're right. You're right. You're right. Rafa's going to win. Okay. So you got Rafa. Right, right, yeah. I, I, I give up. You win. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> now we're on the same page. Cue, as you say, Westoff, cue the knockout bell. <laughs> Delpo is going to take out Simone as well. Delpo is actually playing really good. I think he's sliding under the radar. I, I don't know if you've heard much about, you know, if people are talking about him, Alex, but I mean, for me, nobody's really talking about Del Potro that much, and he's actually playing really, really well. So, I mean, Simone in there, that's crazy as well to see a guy like him. You know, like you mentioned, that we could have seen that match 10 years ago. So, you know, the fact that we're getting that now is a little bit, I mean, it's crazy, but hey, Simone, you know, you don't get there by chance. He's obviously taken the players out that have, you know, been across the net, you know, from him. So, um, I just, I think Del Post got too much. Simone, you know, he's French. He plays that smooth kind of just backboard type grinding game. It's not going to work on the grass. Del Post just going to serve forehand, one-two combo, boom. Um, you know, Simone could possibly get a set. I, I think that one might be straight sets, honestly. So we're setting up for a Del Rafa quarter, and that's going to be an unbelievable match. Honestly, I, I will be a little bit scared. I'm sticking with Rafa to make the semis because I picked it, you know, before the tournament. But I will be scared of watching that match because Delpo can easily take him out, and, and I'll be the first to admit that. The way Delpo's playing right now, I could, I would not be shocked one bit if Delpo wins. But I'm still rolling with Rafa. Rafa's playing good. I think that could be an unbelievable quarterfinal. So I'm not trying to backtrack or hedge my bets, but obviously when I fill out my Tourneytopia bracket, I do with what I want to happen, not with what I expect to happen, because we don't have any money on the line, and I have a lot of fun with my selections. I'm always rooting for the young guys. You know, I don't always pick with my head. Oftentimes it's with my heart. Um, so, you know, I'm obviously cavalier and casual with my upset picks. Uh, not to make any excuses, you know, I'm I'm not trying to backtrack. I'm comfortable with all of the selections I've made. And the reason I say that is because the one player I have left in my Tourneytopia draw who can give me points is Juan Martin Del Potro. He can do me the favor of making the semifinals just as I predicted. He is literally the last player I have left in my draw. 
uh, who I had advancing. So it's a one-man stand. I need Delpo to do it. That's why I'm sticking with him. Give me Delpo over Simone. Uh, like I said, Nadal over Vesely, whatever. I'm just I'm resigned to the fact that it's going to happen. But I agree with you. Delpo has slid under the radar. The serve, the forehand, the aggressiveness, the movement on the grass. He is not to be trifled with. And if he plays his best tennis, he's still as good as anyone. And mentally, you know, who other than him has proven he can beat the top two guys? Yep, that's right. I completely agree. That's why I'm telling you, I, I will be, I mean, that match is, that is definitely upset alert if I've ever given one. That Del Potro, Nadal, in the quarters will be an upset alert for so, me. Absolutely it will. So we already broke down McDonald, Rayonich, and Isner, Tsitsipas. So just real quickly, I want picks for that. Who you have in each match? Yeah, I'm going to go with Milos and and uh, John and Big John. So we're going to set up the quarterfinal with the two big servers. And then, uh, and then who you got? I would, and then I'm going with Isner. Oh, I, that's I, a heart I, pick over the head. I hear it in your voice. I mean, maybe a little bit, <laughs> but with with the way he's he's just been serving so good, man. I mean, he's been serving so big. It might be a little bit with my heart there, but at the same time, I look for him to beat Tsitsipas. That could be a tricky one, though. But I think Big John's going to get through that, and then if he does match up with Milos, I mean, look, we're going to have some tiebreakers if it's John and Milos, for sure. There's going to be breakers, and it's just going to come down to who can play a couple better points, you know, in the breakers, who can get a mini break, you know, who's going to steal a point on the other guy's serve, you know, doing something crazy, a a slap return winner, or something like that is going to make the difference. So I'm going to roll with Big John over Tsitsipas, and then over Milos in the, in, the, uh, in the next round. I like to hear it. Uh, you know, at this point, my credibility shot. So give me McDonald versus Tsitsipas in the quarterfinals, and I'll take <laughs> Mackie over Tsitsipas because I hate one-handed backhand. So, yeah, I'm rolling with Mackie. He's, he's going to be my last American male standing, and he's going to make it all the way to the semifinals against Federer. Um, what, if we, what if we had Mackie and Golbis in the semis? Can I, uh, don't get me teased not, like they're that. Not the same ha- they're not in the same half of the draw. Well, the reason, the reason I would say Mackie is more likely to make the semis than Golbus is because Mackie's been on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Can Golbus say that? Yeah. No. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah, so the facts don't lie. But okay, let's talk about our last quarter because we are over the hour mark, so we should definitely you know, you know, know, get moving. People want to watch these fourth-round matches, not just listen to us. Um, so let's talk about the portion of the draw I've been avoiding because you'll do the most gloating. That, of course, is the Federer quarter of the draw. Federer cruises in straight sets over Struff, 6-3, Manorino ends up knocking out the young Russian, Daniil Medvedev, who took out Chorich in the first round. 6-4, In what was actually... I don't want to say my one of my favorite matches of the third round, a really high level of tennis, both guys who could slug the ball from the baseline, both guys who love to, you know, not afraid to go down the lines, but actually make it with enough consistency that it's not incredibly short points, and these guys are moving like crazy. It was a great match, but the point is, Manorino now takes on Federer, and then in the other portion of the draw, Kevin Anderson takes out Phil Kohlschreiber in routine 6-3-7-5-7-5 win, while Gael Monfils knocks out American and defending Wimbledon semifinalist Sam Query 5-7, 6-4, 6-4, 6-2 in a match 
Monfils actually took a medical timeout in the middle of the second set after losing the first to Query and rebounded well enough to win the match. Um, you know, there are a few storylines you can mention, but uh, I, I won't talk about Federer any longer than I have to. So let's talk about Query Monfils for a second. How disappointed were you, Matt? Can you hear the disappointment uh, in my voice also, by the way? Just the disdain I have talking about this quarter. I, I can definitely hear it, man. And, uh, you know, that's a shame. That is a shame. <laughs> it's but, all fabricated. Uh, I'm just playing a role. I, I know you are. I know you are. <laughs> um, no, of course. I mean, I definitely was disappointed with Query. Uh, I wanted him to win. You know, always, you know, when any of these American guys go down, I mean, I feel... You know, I'm I'm disappointed because I I want them to do well always, and so you know it, when they lose, you know that hurts me a little bit. But um, I, look, Montez is finding his grass court game. You know that that's one thing that we need to mention here. So okay, uh, quick I, quick tangent. What if our semifinals is Monfils, McDonald, and Golbus? Oh wow! I mean, <laughs> it's in play. If if. That'd be so much fun. It just, it'll never happen. See, if that really, happens, I'm back in. I would be ecstatic. If that happens, I don't even know what I would do. Like, I feel like there's like a point zero 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 one percent chance of that actually happening. Let's just say if you suggested that to Brad Gilbert on Twitter, he would give you the yellow card. Absolutely. Well, probably straight red card. Yeah. He'd probably go straight red card. So... I will not be suggesting that to Brad on Twitter, but uh, yeah, no, Montes. I mean, he's playing well. He's taken out a couple, you know, strong players in this event so far. He played Richard Gasquet in the first round. Now he's playing Query. You know, beats both of them. So I think I had picked Anderson in my in my quarterfinal in you know in this quarter, and I'm gonna have to stick with it. I mean, I can't. I'm not gonna backtrack on any of my picks. So I'm going to pick Anderson over Montez, but once again, upset alert here. This is upset alert. I think Montez has like, I don't know what their head-to-head record is, but I'm pretty sure it favors Montez heavily. I don't know if Anderson's actually ever beaten Gael. So this one to me is clearly upset alert, but I'm going to stick with Anderson. I think he's going to serve big, and I think he's probably going to sneak out a couple breakers and end up winning in four or five sets. And then obviously up top, Fed um, Manorino, there is zero upset alert on that one. Don't even come to me with a possible upset, Gruskin, because it's not happening. Fed in straight sets over Manorino all day long. So I'm going to disagree with you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm taking Fed. I'm so <laughs> done with Eddie. I, I, whatever. Sure. If Federer wants to win this tournament, good on him. Um, but in that, uh, yeah, look, he's Roger Federer. What else is there left to say? Uh, right. Manorino's a lefty. Maybe he channels his inner adult. I'm him. I'm dressing in capris and a sleepless shirt, and I'm just saying, fuck it. I'm trying to get in your head. Um, uh, as for Monfils Anderson, I love Kevin Anderson's game. He's a college, you know, former college tennis player, Illinois guy, so he's from my Big Ten. Uh, I would like to see either of these players advance. I won't be upset either way. Monfils' athleticism is so exciting. But give me Anderson. I just think on the grass, his serve, his ability to protect serve, just how consistent and how consistently aggressive is what I'll say. The way he's able to play so consistently aggressive for yep. you know the entirety of a match, I think that gets in Monfils's head. I think Monfils just you know starts playing a little bit sloppier, goes after more than he should because he doesn't want to play as much defense. And I think Anderson ends up taking the match in four. 
Yeah, uh, I agree. And then, I, I don't know. I Anderson, I, I'm not predicting Federer matches anymore. I just give up. Whatever happens, happens. Oh, don't worry about that. I'll, I'll predict all of Federer uh, matches. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But so I have one stat I want to end with and then we'll go. And this comes from friend of the podcast, Jonathan Kelly at Joe Kelly Tennis, who always has fun stats for you if you're a tennis fan. So go follow him on Twitter. But after this event... There will be 11 American men in the ATP Top 100, which is more than any other country in the world. Uh, it is nice to see American tennis, even though, like you mentioned, the query loss a little disappointing. But Isner, McDonald, both in the fourth round. Tiafo is exciting. Uh, you still have the queries if Sock ever gets it together. And just so many young American talents throughout the draw and just throughout the ATP tour. And so I am happy with the state of American men's tennis right now. Uh, what do you think? How are you feeling, Matt? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with where American tennis is at. Taylor Fritz, Jared Donaldson are just a couple more guys that you didn't mention there um, that are going to be around for a long time. I think they're playing well. They're starting to figure out this whole, you know, ATP tour, how to just go about everything, you know, managing your schedule and traveling and knowing how to train properly and what it takes to win these big matches. I think all of these guys are learning you know, more and more every time they take the court, especially in these Grand Slam events. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, you said it perfectly. I mean, American tennis right now is just completely on the rise. Uh, we've been waiting for for that for a little bit. You know, it's, it's been a long time coming, so uh, I couldn't be more excited. Absolutely agree with you. Um, I lied, fans, and as always, what would it be a Great Shot podcast without an ending tangent for the final segment? So there's one last thing we're going to do. Obviously, there are eight rounds of 16 matches. Matt, I'm going to make it tough on you. Give me the two most exciting matches you are looking forward to. Obviously, they are all exciting, but if you could only watch two, which two would you watch? Oh, man. Uh, number one for me would have to be Hatchinoff and uh, Djokovic, for sure. Wow. That one I... I absolutely have to watch. You stole one of my picks. I have a feeling we might have the same answers. We might. I mean, there's no question that, that I need to see that match. Um, and, and oh, man, I had three circled, but if I'm going to go... I, I, had, I was going to say, I know, I wanted to pull a late fastball on you just to make sure you're still awake this late in the pod. Here's my other one. <laughs> you're moving on. Isner Tsitsipas. Oh, uh, so... I knew you were going to say that, so I switched my other one at the last second. Um, I agree with you on Hachanov Djokovic, but I'm going to say Rayonich McDonald. And I feel like you were okay. gra- grappling between the two as well. I, I was, and <laughs> I-, I figured you were actually going to pick McDonald and, and Rayonich. So <laughs> we- this is just, what, dude, we're getting good at this. We have been doing this now. This is you know, our fourth or fifth one together of the week. So we were bound That's to start right. thinking similarly as well. Exactly. So um, I'm going with those two as the ones that I have to see, Um, you know, but really all of them, I'm going to be, I'm going to be keeping an eye on every single one of these matches. I think they all could be, you know, somewhat entertaining with the exception of Roger and Rafa. I think those two will probably be the least entertaining because they're just going to roll. But every other match in between those top two seeds, I think I think could be great, but if I had to pick two, the ones that I'm really going to be dialed into are Joker against Tashinov and then Isner Tsitsipas for me. No, that's totally fair. And again, if you have a chance, check out all of these matches. But you know, I like those three in particular. I think we agree are our three favorite of the round. But okay, again, 
One more added bonus. All of the top 10 seeds on the ladies' singles draw have lost, Matt. And so obviously that does not include Serena, who's still around. That does not include Kerber. And does not include Ostapenko, both of who have had a ton of success on the WTA Tour. Who is your favorite going down the stretch to win the Wimbledon Ladies Singles Championship? Oh, man. I mean, it's kind of hard to pick, right? Because you don't know who's going to get upset next. I mean, everybody's losing day after day. But I mean, right It's now, incredible. It's not- I would give anything for that on the men's side. I know you would. I know you would. <laughs> but see, the women's game is just way more unpredictable. That's why I knew, I figured, you know, Roger and Rafa, they're always, they're going to have their success. But in the women's game, it's way more wide open. I mean, it is entertaining. I'll give you that. But right now, it's just, it's not there in the men's game. So um, to answer your question, I think, I think it's pretty easy at this point. I mean, I've got to go Serena just because of, you know, looking at the rest of the field. Uh, Serena is starting to, you know, ramp her game up just a little bit. The last match that she played served extremely well. So basically by default, I, I have to pick Serena because I don't really have anybody else I could pick. I mean, I know you mentioned Ostapenko and Kerber, but, I, you know, I don't particularly, you know, think either one of them. I mean, possibly Kerber. I, she's had some success on the grass before, I think, but... Uh, I don't know, Ox more of a clay quarter, French Open champion. I- I've got to go with Serena. All right, that's fair. I'm going to say Benchich, and I'm not going to offer you an explanation other than the fact that I just love Benchich's game. I, I, <laughs> I truly, I, she's such a pleasure to watch. I just think her ground strikes are so smooth. I, her story recovering from injury, you know, former top junior in the world. Uh, I, I like her game, and I'm all about the young players, as you knew. So I'd like to see Ostapenko win as well, um, but... Yeah, give me one of those two. Uh, but okay, Matt, you know, it's late on this middle Sunday. We're really soaking up those last hours before tennis. So I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. And, you know, I, I hope you're, and I know you're looking forward to this next week of tennis as much as I am. So we'll be sure to get back. You know, I'll probably text you, what, five minutes into the opening round of 16 matches with some hot takes. Absolutely, man. I'm expecting it. Well, I'm glad to hear. So then one last thing before we sign out. If you haven't already, be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. It's got all the Wimbledon coverage you could want from this week, whether it's the funniest tweets, the most interesting storylines, breakdowns of the biggest result. I know you, Matt, have a few articles up there yourself. So if you enjoyed Matt's takes on this, you can only imagine how good he is in long form. So go check out his articles because they have truly been a pleasure to read each night, Matt. Um, also, again, if you haven't, go subscribe to the Great Shot Podcast. Go subscribe to our other podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Rate them, review them on iTunes, review them on whatever app you listen to your podcast. Anything you guys could do, we'd really appreciate it. And, of course, tell your friends about us. Your friends have been watching Wimbledon. It's all over ESPN, and I'm sure they have questions. Well, if they also have an hour of time, we've got some information for them. So, you know, steal their phone. It's tap, tap, and you've subscribed to the podcast. So, you know, we don't condone any crimes, so give the phone back. But while you have their phone... Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. But one last time, for my wonderful co-host, Matt Stachowiak, for our incredible super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, who has a hell of a job to do as always, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. And Matt, what do we say to our fans? Hey, great shot. (laughs) I love it. And we will see you in the second week. Take care, everyone.